Hey, Friday listeners. How are you guys? Uh, this is the Social Distance Sports Bar. This is part two of this week's episode. So if you want to have the full experience, if you want more and more and more and more content, then you need to head to Wednesday's episode. It'll say part one at the end of the episode title. This one says part two. If you look at your phone now, have a look. See, it says part two. So if you go on our timeline, go to Social Distance Sports Bar, have a look at the timeline there. There's part one. See, can you see it? It's probably worth clicking on that now, and then a lot of it will make more sense. Sometimes there are back references on a Friday. If you don't listen to the Wednesday, you you won't not enjoy it. You'll just enjoy it more if you listen to Wednesday's episode first. If you go to our YouTube channel, you can see some of our greatest hits that have been brought to life by a guy called Paul Mellon. So Paul is a puppeteer, and a very, very, very good puppeteer. And he started making some videos about us and sticking them up on his socials. And we thought, you need to be part of our team, Paul. So we have brought Paul into the fold. And Paul is making official social distance sports bar videos for us now, which is great. It's kind of how we like to work. Same same with our logos. Our logos were done by a guy called Dave Doodlemoose. And Dave just started doing them. And then we thought, well, that's better than our logo. So we asked if we could use it and paid him some money. And now Dave does illustrations for us on our Instagram. So... If you want to listen to some of your favourites or watch some of your favourites and see how Paul puppetizes them, I don't know if that's the right word, then go to our YouTube channel. If you search for the Socially Distanced Sports Bar on YouTube, you will find us there. If you want to see Dave's illustrations, then you should go to our Instagram. At DistantPod is our Instagram. All of our socials, I think I'm right in saying, are at DistantPod. So we're on the is it X. We call it X now. Yeah, it's on the Twitter. We're on the TikTok as well. And if you have a look on Facebook, you'll be able to find our official stuff there as well. There are various chats on Facebook as well. They're not officially sanctioned, although I think Mike is in a lot of them. There is an officially sanctioned one for patrons. So if you are a Patreon, or if you are not a patron and you want to be one, go to patreon.com slash distantpod, and you will find not only do you get a bonus round of clips for every episode, you will also have a little code that will take you to the Social Distance Sports Bar Patreon chat. Lots of you who aren't patrons try to join. And I just say no every single time. If you haven't got the code, you're not coming in, guys. That's how it works. Mike interacts on their loads. I interact on there a little bit. But push out you know, messages that maybe only patrons here. And Elle interacts occasionally. If In the interest of 100% honesty, Elle will interact slightly with different conversations. Usually, if you get him on the Rebecca Riots, he'll, he'll jump on it. Uh, so, please enjoy this week's documentary and this week's book review on Friday's edition of the Socially Distance Sports Bar. There's an advert coming next, and then it's going to start. Documentary time on the Socially Distant Sports Bar. This was my choice. This is one of the 30 for 30 podcast series because they do as good stuff in audio as they do with the video series that we've watched a lot of. So this one is about the Chicago Cubs baseball team and it is called The Lights of Wrigleyville. This week, the story of an epic battle at the corner of Clark and Addison in Chicago. For 40 years, Wrigley Field was the only Major League ballpark without lights. 
every single game was played during the day. That is, until Major League Baseball and big money were pitted against a well-organized neighborhood, putting the business of baseball in the spotlight. Longtime Cubs public address announcer Wayne Mesmer narrates our story, The Lights of Wrigleyville. Twas in the beginning, a place forever known as the Kingdom of Chicago, and it did bear the many bountiful fruits of the Lords of Wrigley. The first time I saw Wrigley Field was a beautiful summer day in 1969. Came into town on a rickety old Park District school bus. As uh, we walked in and went up the ramp, everything was so spectacular. Then the Lords of Wrigley said, let there be natural grass. And there was. It reminded me of watching The Wizard of Oz at a friend's house who had a color TV. I had seen the world in black and white until the moment that they get to Oz and it turns to color. And the Lords of Wrigley said, let there be ivy-covered walls, and there were. Wrigley Field turned into Oz. The ivy was greener and the blues were bluer. It was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. And the Lords of Wrigley said, playeth only by the light of day, and they did. How about it? So, I really enjoyed this, mate. This was really good. Recently got back from Chicago, met up with a couple of patrons after the race, and one of them was telling me that he'd been up to uh, Wrigley Field to have a tour around there. So I popped up there a day later and had a look around the place, and one of the guys who was showing us around there recommended this as a listen. So I listened to this on my way back down into town, and what a fascinating listen. The idea that the traditionalism of an area sort of went over the top of the potential financial gains for the baseball club of having floodlights, I found absolutely intriguing. And the idea that the club initially, when they were owned by the Wrigley family, didn't want to have the floodlights there, tried their best to do it, and then brought some in in the 40s, but then needed to pass that steel on to the, yeah, the Navy like bid yeah, against uh, the Japanese after Pearl Harbor was really interesting as well. So they've kind of, they've decided to bring them in, but only to finish off day games for that really brief period. There's no bit of this that I didn't like, I have to say. Do you know what it says to me though? For a, for a club to be the only club that plays baseball in the day rather than the night because they don't turn their floodlights on unless it's the end of a day game. To be the only club in baseball to do that and for it to demonstrably affect your results negatively yes because they were playing in the you know the heat of the day so everyone was they were struggling they were playing more games in the heat and so they were just they were having worse results and their championship in 69 they come very close to winning but then that goes wrong and they bring in a new sort of director of baseball sort of head manager head coach and he's like this is a we will win championships if we start playing in the night. Yeah. And because it's such a part of baseball culture in Chicago, they're like, no, we're fine as we are, actually. Yeah. Which really says to me that uh, they didn't have a, 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 a support made up of glory hunters because there was something that was adversely affecting Man United or Chelsea or Liverpool or Real Madrid's results. Hmm. Because of all of those huge clubs have fans worldwide. They would think, well, we've got to think about our fans in India. We've got to think about our fans in Australia and America. Hmm. But because they were only supported by people who were actually going to the game and Wrigley Field was in the suburbs, hmm. they were like, all right, 
well, that's yeah. just baseball, and this is our team, and we're going to support our team. I, I was absolutely amazed at this documentary. I was amazed that none of the, even if it's the success side of so the idea being that the Cubs players, when they're playing at home, are playing in the daytime, therefore it's either hotter than it is at night, so they have adverse results as a result of that, or the fact that they've had quick turnarounds from coming from somewhere else. Playing yeah, at night yeah, yeah. Constipation. Which is a thing. Like, yeah. I know people take the piss out of Jurgen Klopp for always going on about this. But if, if you're tired and, you're, and your opponents aren't tired, yeah. you, you are going to suffer. That's, There's a huge difference between playing Saturday at 12 and Saturday at 5 if you've yeah. been away mm. in Europe on a Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So imagine that with the baseball season where you're playing every day and you've been away somewhere in America, which is the equivalent of a trip to Russia, yeah. and back, and then you're playing at one thirty rather than uh, at 7 o'clock. But I also like the bit there where they go into the detail then of they would play these day games and then just go on the piss as well. Yeah, yeah. So, that's what they do then. The play, yeah, the players have got such a long time to go on the piss that that's adversely affected their results as well. I love, there's a bit there, I do love a good meltdown and I love a good swear. Oh, I, I knew you'd like So this. Lee Elliott, who was the coach yes. in, in the early 80s, <laughs> and he's desperate to get the lights because he's convinced that it is affecting the team adversely, and it is affecting the team adversely, right? But yet he wasn't a particularly good coach. So listen to this. I've got to read this from the this is from ESPN. And for a disappointing four three loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers twenty five years ago Tuesday, this is written a while ago now. Elliot was yeah. heading to the Cubs clubhouse when he saw a few players, namely Larry Boa and Keith Morland, nearly going to the stands to confront a group of belligerent Cubs fans. Minutes later, when a reporter asked about the team's five fourteen record, which means one five lost fourteen. Uh, and the reaction of coach fans, Elias snapped. In one three-minute and seven-second tirade, the second-year manager unleashed 480 words he's longed to take back, 49 of which were the cover your Charles Ears variety. That's one of you 3.8 seconds. And then he got, so here we go. I won't do all of it. <laughs> this is great. I'll tell you one fucking thing. I hope we get fucking hotter than fuck so we can stuff it up there 3,000 asses. People that show up every fucking day because if they if they're real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking right, they can kiss my ass. Write this down and print it. Uh, the fuckers don't even work. That's why they're out on the. That's why they're at the fucking game. They ought to go out and get a fucking job and go and find what it's like to go out and earn a fucking living. Eighty five percent of the fucking world is working. The other fifteen percent come out here. It's a fucking playground for the fucking anyway. It just it's a playground for the fucking cocksuckers is my favourite line. <laughs> fucking absolutely your, own, your fans. own fans in the middle of a season. Yeah. Not at the end of a you season. You have any jobs. What are you slagging us off for? You're playing in a couple of days' time against in front of those people. You fucking idiot. Just you the fucking best. Cocksuckers. You fucking yeah. lazy cocksuckers. Basically saying. You know, why are you here? Why have you got a fucking job? Yeah, yeah yes. And they only had like 10,000 fans at some games in a 50,000 seat stadium. Yeah, yeah. And he's, in a huge yeah. and he's telling those 10,000 well. to fuck off and get a job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Calling them all losers, basically. Fucking cocksuckers. <laughs> but that's the, the, the bit about the sort of the, the number of people there yeah. as well. If you're running a business... It's crazy, man. So the first time the floodlights come into sort of the majors, if you like. It was in the 30s. Well, they said they were very nearly the first and, team to have Well, and, the, and they bring in... So they almost double their crowds immediately. So all the teams who have nighttime games, as a result of, you know, 85% of good people who've got jobs, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're now available to go to the games. When you watch county cricket, who's yes. going to watch cricket all That's day? That's what it put me in mind of. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, it put me in mind of county cricket, this did. People slag out like the Big Bash at 2020 and the 100. 
Yeah, but it's in the evenings. Mm. So I can go there after work with yes, my yeah. kids and watch cricket. Even if they started county championship cricket at two o'clock, you would still get more people in the grounds come six. But for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. It shows as well, I think, that the foibles and quirks of a team or a club Mm. I'm not say I wouldn't say are as important as the results, but they certainly add to the experience because I think they are. Tramie Rovers famously have always had Friday night kickoffs because they don't yeah. compete with Liverpool and Everton. Yes, Torquay United for years had Saturday evening kickoffs, mm. and I think we're pretty much unique in the league for this. And it was it was successful, and people liked it. Mm. In the end, I think Torquay Police said we can't police like the seafront and pubs and the football at the same time. So you're going to have to go back to sort of 3pm. I imagine Sheffield Wednesday would have been a Wednesday version of Sheffield football back in the day, wouldn't it? Yes, I think that is I think that is the case. Is so I think Cubs fans liked it. It yeah. was their thing, wasn't it? The amount of T-shirts that, that, that sold, that, you know, um, Wrigley FC and uh, no lights at Wrigley, uh, yeah. Wrigley Field. I mean, yeah. it was it was a popular campaign to prevent the idea of baseball being played in the evening like everyone else does it. Citizens United of a baseball in the sunshine. There's the Citizens United baseball and sunshine. Is it great? Let's sit around and come up with some words that fit Cubs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, let's try and come up with a campaign that's based around this. Do they still do it? Is it still? No, they're very... They're very they went from 18 young. games a season... They're now yeah. up to like 70 games a season. that they can. It, it, they're basically regular yeah. now. The, it's it's yeah. a normal thing, but I love I love the residents in this. So whether it's the guys looking back on when they were kids and they were allowed to go to the games because they were daytime by their parents, whereas that wouldn't happen if it was a nighttime. You wouldn't jump on the train and get there. Do you know what they they made a really yeah. one of the women in this made a really good point. I was thinking about that time when I went with Pauli to watch the cricket and the pub were complaining that they had complaints from neighbours about the noise, right? I thought, yes. yeah, well, don't buy a house next to a pub then, right? you know? Yes. Then, I've always thought that. I thought, well, if there's a stadium there, they well, don't want the lights so it's too loud, or don't have the parking, well, don't buy a house next to a stadium then. And she turned around and said, well... Yeah, or a music Yeah, she'd been there for years. And she said, well, yeah, but don't... All right, fine. But this community was already here. Don't build a stadium in a community. Exactly. Went, Fuck yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, you can flip that around anytime you like, couldn't you? And it really is. It, uh, some of the streets around it now are more sort of commercialised, but it is still very much. It's not one of those stadiums that you see, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sort appear on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah, you just sort of walk around a corner. It's like, bloody hell. I love that, though. There's a massive stadium there. In, in the way that Anfield or the Vetch was in or Ninian Park. What's that one in, in, in when we went to Belfast, when we saw the Estonia North Ireland game? Windsor Park. Again, similar to that. So similar to Windsor Park. You're walking down some terrace streets and there it is. Yeah, we were walking down some streets and that's exactly what Wrigley Field is like. It's like, oh, cool, there it is. And that's a really... But then you sort of get the sense of this more. I can't remember the phraseology of it, but one of the people is saying that nothing brings out your sort of human emotions more than seeing someone urinating on your front garden. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I just thought, yeah. Imagine that. Imagine someone just pissing on your front garden yeah. and how that would make you feel. Yeah, You'd be incensed, <laughs> wouldn't you? More than anything. Yeah. I remember some guy put some, put a, he was in a carrier bag, but he put his dog's yeah, dog yeah, mess yeah. in my wheelie bin. Oh. You've never seen me run out quicker. Good <laughs> lad. And give someone abuse and give him a bag of dog shit back. Did you? Good lad. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Not going in my bin. Go find a fucking proper bin. 
But there's no reason for that. It's in a bin. It doesn't make any difference. But if someone's pissing on your property... Every other week. It immediately just brings out the emotions in you as a human. And I, I get that. Well, there's games every other week, isn't there? So it's, every other week, well. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, every well, it wouldn't even be that. It'd be, it would be well, three days of a week. Yeah. Three nights of a week, someone would be pissing in your front garden or parking in front of your house. There's a bit in the Fever Pitch film where Nick Hornby's character, played by Colin Firth, he wants a ground. He wants a, a wet, flat. As, that wet shirt. He, wa- <laughs> oof, oof. he wants his flat to be as close oof. to Highbury uh, <laughs> as possible because he's a massive Arsenal fan. But obviously that's not a very... Just tight when it's wet as well. But it's not a selling point. And uh, he's been. Well, when I first bought the house in Kenton, before they had resident parking, it was a pain in the balls. All the, every time Cardiff City played at home, yeah, I could never mm. park anywhere near my house. Yeah, and there'd be pissed mm. up fans all over the place. So he's been he's been shown around. And he's like, uh, so the the Arsenal games do they impact on living so close to ground? Oh no, they, they only tend to play about once a month, <laughs> and uh, they're good as gold, really. Arsenal, <laughs> they're just good as gold. You won't you won't <laughs> notice it. It's fine. But yeah, if you live in <coughs> Wrigley Fields, fucking hell, imagine people mm. having a people having a slash in your front garden all the time. Be good for your tomato does though. Every night. Well, is it quite? I, I get from the dock, Steph. You've been there. That it's quite a. It's quite a. The north side of Chicago is the sort of tougher side, is it? I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't really venture south, so I don't. It's really the lake know, side, so is it? Sox fans. Yeah, so Sox fans would have a different opinion, I presume. But I, I, I'm not sure it's the tougher side. I just think that it's the... I love the kids talking about going there as like eight, nine years of age, you know, because it was daytime games. Yeah. They could yeah. get the train there and the parents were fine about mm. it. And I love all that. I love yeah, it. but that's that's great then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But then the Wrigley family sell them to the Chicago Tribune and it's sort of the campaign... Well, it's interesting. Them, that's in ramps yeah, up. Yeah, because Wrigley wanted a... This Wrigley wasn't a... When he inherited the team, he wasn't off his dad. He wasn't didn't give a fuck about baseball. So they just yeah. wanted to make it an enjoyable day out where the result was almost yes. secondary to anything else. Exactly. Beautiful Wrigley Field. Beautiful rig- yeah, I love that. You know. Making the announcers refer to it permanently as beautiful Wrigley Field yeah. and all the announcers. All those cheese ball songs about take me out to the ballpark and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, just go for a nice a nice day out. Come on. You tried your best. <laughs> this this will be lovely. But I, I, I like it from both sort of perspectives but then when they really ramp it up and they say okay well we'll take it out of chicago then if you won't if, mm, if this is yeah. going to happen we're going to we're going to take it out to the proper suburbs well there's, and, there was the one where they said if they get the world series which looked like a real prospect they're about to play yeah. their home games in st louis which went down like a led zeppelin yeah. but then they, did, they don't get through to that and it all disappears for a little bit again yeah I was going to say a French kiss to family reunion. That was the old saying, wasn't it? But I'm not sure. You wow. Still, okay. Still PC. I don't know. Yeah, it was PC. I don't think. I don't think any of that is PC. No. 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 All right. French no. kiss. Barack Obama is a White Sox fan. Are they the slightly bigger club? They're the more successful one, aren't they? Because the Cubs are in the MLB National League, and mm-hmm. the White Sox are in the MLB America, America, American America. League. So, which is the better yeah. league? Well, they're the same. They're just, either is better, they're just... It's like conferences in the NFL, except there are slightly yeah. different rules oh, okay. in the two leagues as well. So in the National League, you're... Let me get this right now. Oh, go on. Is it the designated Your pitcher's got a, got a bat, and in the American right. League, your pitcher doesn't have to bat. You've got a designated hitter. Yeah. Is that right? I can't remember which way around it is. I think, it's, like, I think, that's the way, I think it's that way around. Yeah. 
President Barack Obama, an avid White Sox fan, has taken verbal jabs at the Cubs on several occasions. Good lad. Well, he's from there, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Obama said it's been nine years. If that, if, that, if that was a telegraph, they'd be telling me he had to support the Cubs because the... Uh... <laughs> when the New York Yankees, managed by <laughs> former Cub Joe Girardi, visited the White House in honour of the 2009 World Series Championship, Obama said it's been nine years since he last title, which must have felt like an eternity for Yankee fans. I think other teams would be just fine with a spell like that. The Cubs, for example. <laughs> Good. I, li- I like sort of a big inner city yeah. rivalry like that. I, yeah. li- I like it when you've got two, like the, like the Yankees and the Mets, that sort of vibe works really well because there is proper hatred there. Uh, I think Michelle really Obama nice. is a Cubs fan. Oh, there we go. That, that is good. I also, there's a bit there where they, they briefly touch on that if they Quite weren't going to... politics, gonna, that as well, isn't it? If they weren't going to move City or yeah. move the franchise, they were going to re... I was talking about rebuilding a stadium. And they said at the time, there were a lot of these multi-purpose, like, identikit yeah. stadiums being built. Yes. They hate some of those. They were going to dome it. Like with the NFL stadiums now, every time they build a new stadium, there's thought behind it, and it's individual. Like you look at the Los Angeles, look at the Las Vegas one; it's fantastic. Mm. They they all, they all look different. Yes, but there was a period of time when they just wanted to maximise the space. Yes. Yeah, maximise the utility of it, and just take all the spirit out of it, and all the fucking. You know what I mean? And, and Wrigley Field's one of those lovely old stadiums, the big scoreboards. Yeah, yeah. mm. It's like you imagine a stadium looks, like a, an old baseball stadium looks. Well, I sent you some photos when I was out in Chicago of the uh, of Soldier Field, mm. of the American football stadium. I'd love to go there, mate. Well done. And the outside of that, they've kept the sort of old Lush. artifice on the one side, sort of the lake side of the ground. And it just looks, it looks like an old sort of Coliseum <sighs> style build to it. Amazing. And then inside, you've just got this modern stadium that they put in there. Mm. But they've got the space because it's down by the lake. So they've got this space and there's the ability. And that's to do obviously that. not the cheapest way of doing it. Christ, no. But it, no. it is the best way of doing those things. But it's kept some history there. Yeah. And it looks beautiful as a result then. And you're right. Like in having- Pittsburgh, when they moved up from Three Rivers to, to where they are now to Heinz Field, it's a beautiful state of the art stadium. But there's quirks everywhere. They're like there's, there's the open spiral walkways. There's the open concourses. There's the, the you, there's the statues when you walk in. It's just I thought, Christ, yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of attention to detail, a little bit of artistic vision with these things. And because yeah, you want those to be there for fifty years, don't you? You want that to become an iconic place. I think that's the that's the difference. Like you know, although not fit for purpose because of the way that housing and stuff was built in Britain. A lot of those turn the corner down a terrace street. Well, the Vetch as an example. Turn the corner and then your stadium is behind. I love all that shit. That bunch of houses is beautiful. But there's not the space then to build. What's that ground when you've got to walk through the... Through the like, kind of a throat loop. Even Everton and Liverpool like that. I'm feeling good as something like that. But yeah, Anfield, you... I mean, because there's the park in between the two, you... You don't happen upon them. You don't have to go more than a street over to park just down a street. And his load of local pubs. Well, the Welsh Rugby Union, when mm. and I've clashed swords with them a few times in the last three years, <laughs> but when they could have moved, they were moving out to Bridgend or like an, an out of city venue for the new stadium. Yes. The fact they built it where it was, and it was such yes. a ball they could do it there, and it, it was such an architectural pain in the ass, but mm. they did it. Yeah. I think it just makes yeah. it. I know that it needs a lot of work, and I know there's. You know, it needs investment. Oh, it's tired now, but conceptually keeping it. But fair play to them for that. Well, there are issues, like with the Champions League finals held in 2017. Yeah. And the Euros will be there in 2028. 
And there are, because it's a new, it's an old stadium in town, there are issues with the corporate stuff, stuff that you want around the ground as people are walking into yes. the stadium. So it, there yeah, are certain things see. that make it harder, say, than at Wembley or... Yeah, the fans hate that stuff. The real fans hate that but stuff. But if you want those really big games in your stadium, you have to be able to accommodate that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the one That's the one issue that I think the Millennium has. Now, when it comes to UEFA things. But like car parking's a big issue there, isn't it? But mm. I don't want a car. I want to park a car there. I love, I love St. Mary's Street and Westgate Street. And, you know, on an international day when they shut the roads down and everyone's just walking in the, in the streets having a beer. Yeah. Fantastic, isn't it? It feels exciting. Yeah, it does. It's, 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 a, it's a, a festival, isn't it? Around feels good. Yeah. yeah. If you've got the room, like I said, well, the, the one in Pittsburgh when they built Heinz Field. Yes. The car park is vast and everyone's tailgated. Well, yeah. Unless there's, that's, there's something to be said for that as well. Yeah. But it's still, it's still downtown. It's still in the city. It's not far from the old stadium. Hmm. But I love, like, they were saying with Wrigley Field, there's nowhere to park, you got to get the train, there's this, there's that. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. It's a cool feeling, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, like it's like a, even just sort of turning up means you're a fan. I know that sounds a daft thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's not an easy thing. So we go and see, you know, it's like with you home and away, Al, with the Swans. It's not easy to go to bloody Millwall on a Wednesday night. No, I, I like that. But it's nice when you get there, because you think, well, this, this is my team, this is what I'm about, this is me. Well, I always think... I remember going to watch the Swans play Crawley once on a Wednesday night in a whatever. It was the Capital One Cup. It was the year we won it, I think. My friends, Phil and Simon, had come up from Carmarthen. <laughs> Crawley is so far from Carmarthen. I was mm. going to say that is, yeah. You know, it's far enough from track. Swansea, but Carmarthen's further still. It's another 50 miles, you know, round trip. Yeah, post-motorway. Who's the narrator of this? He's got a lovely voice. Yeah. He's done a lot of American sports stuff. Coming of the fellow's name. I like the fact that it gets to the day in 1988 where they have the floodlights and they have this <laughs> oh, big this ceremonial launch of the lights and they turn them on and it takes 10 eight, minutes eight, to eight, warm eight. up. Yeah, so they've picked the 8th of August, 1988. It's memorable. They've got Bill Murray up in the commentary box. They get through a couple of innings and it pisses down. And because they haven't had five innings, it doesn't count as a game. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. So they have to come back the next night and do it all again. They've got to unveil the lights again. And the woman start from, it all off again. from the CUBS says, basically, this is God pissing on the stadium. It's amazing. God peeing on Wrigley Field. Yeah. You're not meant to have these lights. And that's a sign from above. I always think about, because I love, I love uh, Blues Brothers, one of my favourite films of all time. Yeah. And that is where they send the police. When they give, when they give them an address. Yes. They write that address down. The, the, the cops show up and it is Wrigley Field. Yeah. Yeah, and that, you can see then that's right in the middle of like you know, yeah. tough Chicago, and it's a, and it's a balance night. If you live in those areas, they said, okay, if we go away, yeah. you lose all this yeah, business. Yeah. It might be a pain in the ass, but you lose all this. This is gone. Well, all the yeah. most of the pubs on the Vetch have closed down now because they were sustained by match day trade. There's one or two are still open, but that's interesting. I didn't know that. Whereas Frankie and Benny's is thriving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the difference, isn't it? You know, the out of town stuff is much more doable now. But I love the fact that you can or could have influence as residents in those days, in the 80s, and you could still have some influence over your club as real Because the fans. one fellow that came in, that Dallas, whatever his name was, yeah, didn't give a shit, no. did he? He tried no. to steamroll with everything. But he's thinking of his CV. You yeah. can't do that. 
He doesn't want to be. Yeah. yeah. In, he doesn't want to be associated with a team that loses. And if you want to fight, I'll give you a fight and all this sort of stuff. All right, mate. Yeah. 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 This is not the way to do things. So I, I like all of this series. Really well made. It's a good listen because it, it sounds yeah. great as well. This one. I think that's the the archive stuff is brilliant. They come in early with that rant, oh, which immediately funny, grips. I knew as soon as I listened to that, I knew you'd love it. Oh, because a lot of American stuff they're quite prudish in some ways. Yeah, but I, I thought there's gonna be bleeped out all this. No, yeah, but no, let it all bleeped. roll. Well, the, the guy doing the voiceover says crap five times in the first sort of <laughs> yeah. element of it as well, and you're like, okay, cool. This this is gonna be all right. But it's a yeah, it's a brilliant doc, mate. What's it about? About 50 minutes? 55 minutes it is. 50 with adverts, yeah. 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 Don't fast forward through them. Because no. <laughs> you got some going up now. <laughs> Book time on this week's Distant Pod. Uh, Mike, your choice this time around. Just put my glasses on, Steph, you wouldn't mind. Lovely, that'd be lovely. Well, let's get them on. So my mate Simon Cross, who I did the NFL stuff with. Oh, yeah. Got in touch a couple of days ago. Asked if I he would mind giving a friend of his my address. You look totally different in glasses. Good, bad. Like totally different. Yeah. Almost disguised, I would say. Yeah. Like Clark Kent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I don't, I don't know. It's just a completely different. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's like you're on the run. Yeah. You've changed your frames. Weird, you? weird in a good way, yeah? 100% like a different person. And I've not mm. seen that in glasses, you know, with the exception of yet yeah, those people who didn't believe that Clark Kent was Superman, including yeah. his girlfriend. Mental. But yeah. <laughs> if yeah. Kelly were to come home and go, who's that? I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> she does like me in the glasses. She likes me. Does she? Because you look like someone different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Likes me in glasses, not talking. <laughs> <laughs> not a different voice, but making sure, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so a fella, and I don't want to get your name wrong, Dave. So David, Tuss- I'm going to say Tossel, it could be Tossel, it could be Tozel. Um, anyway, he sent me a book that he'd written because he's a friend of Simon's. Okay. I talk about, uh, t- see, sometimes my timing is just off. Okay, good. Just off. So uh, he says, hi, Mike, a mutual friend of, uh, gave me your address. I send you a book that I wrote some years ago now, which I hope to interest you, given your love of Welsh rugby in the 1970s. For all the books I've written, uh, most of them rooted in some way in the 1970s. This one was the most enjoyable. Thanks to the generosity of the players, most of whom I was lucky enough to visit for interviews. In particular, I've heard you mention many times on the podcast what a classy gentleman Gareth Edwards is. Mm. One of my sporting heroes, I'm sure I didn't ask him anything he'd not been asked thousands of times before, but he treated every question as though it was the first time he'd ever been asked it, with thoughtful, insightful answers. To be honest, the same was true for all of them. What a fantastic bunch. I know Simon Thrubb spent 26 years as head of European public relations for the NFL. Nice. Wow. Hiring his company nice. to fill our video needs and working with him as producer of BBC's NFL coverage. Having retired early last summer, I just missed your involvement in the Packers game at Tottenham. So in other words, Dave, if I'd have known you two years ago. Yeah. Fucking hopeless. Uh, <laughs> no joking. Could have got me into lots of things. But make the book, it couldn't be any more on my alleys. Bang on, right? So it's, it's interviews of all the great players. Mm. It's called Nobody Beats Us, the inside story of the 1970s Welsh rugby team. I'm reading it now. As usual, the photo section in the middle is not only brilliant, but contains, I would say, 80% photographs I've never seen before. That's oh, cool. Wow. They must be from my players' personal collections. There's some fantastic ones. You two would love it, honestly. There's some great stuff in here. Every chapter, which is another reason I love it, is named after a 70s piece of music. So, for oh, instance, cool. We Can Be Heroes, Anarchy in the UK... 
Fanfare of the Common Man. Oh, nice. All the Young Dudes, Born to Run. That's cool. Gonna Make You a Star, Always on My Mind. Shut up your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was 80s. Oh, come on. Never mind. Never Rubbish. Mind. So just talking briefly about earlier with the, um, with the doc about kids on the way to a game and that lovely sort of image of kids taking the train to see sport on their own, right? It was weird because it resonated as a bit of serendipity in action. Like, uh, chapter six, always on my mind, obviously an Elvis song, uh, Willie Nelson song. Here we go, always on my mind. And the, little, the first bit at the top that just says, people wanted to see our type of game. You don't talk about the Brazil soccer team just because the way, just because they win. You talk about the way you see the way they play. People enjoyed our game. Even in England, where the media always liked us, John Dawes, right? So then, this is so his interview with John Dawes now. So I'll just read this little bit from the start. I love it. Not even the rattling seats and creaking suspension could divert the concentration of the teenage boy deep in thought as the northbound bus made its winding, tedious way into the Ebu Valley from Cardiff. The jolt from the uneven road surface seemed to synchronize with the image of tackles and tumbles that played in his head, adding an additional textural layer to the memories of his red shirted heroes in battle. It was these homeward journeys undertaken by John Dawes after attending international matches in the capital during the 1950s that helped to develop one of the most influential minds in the history of Welsh rugby. I went to all the big games in Cardiff, and of course, it was by public transport, he remembers. I would enjoy watching the superstars of the day, and without television, you had to go to the game to see them play. It made much more of a personal impact being there, to see them perform. I always had a desire to play in a certain way, and I wanted to do certain things. We used to have a lot of 10-man rugby in those days, which was effective and hard to break down but it didn't stop me thinking about how I wanted to play the game my way. Born in the Chapel of East section of Abakan, a mining village, Sidney John Dawes, hence the nickname Sid, inherited his physical ability from his father, Reg, a well-known player for several local rugby clubs. From his teachers at Lewis School in Pengam, an institution determined to graduate to the fixture list of the country's leading grammar schools, he gained a thorough grounding in the fundamentals of the game. From that sprang the keen analytical mind that was not only content merely to celebrate the victories or more than the losses of the Wales team he witnessed at Cardiff's Park. He wanted to expand his understanding of the key moments and tactical decisions that helped shape the outcome of the games, to appreciate the geometry and the physics of the actions ebb and flow. Right, so... That's nice. Honestly, the, the whole nice book writing, is bloody brilliant. And of course, and you think, I think you think of that, the Barbars try there, and you think of the way that John Dawes played rugby. Mm. And it would have been an era when he first started playing, when forwards didn't do that. You had a job to do as a forward, mm. and it was to give the ball to the backs mm. or set up a mall, right? You would expect it to be running an open field and throwing passes and, and you know, John Dawes sort of changed the way that that position was played. Like, I love the fact that it was, it was, that was forged as a young kid, you know, going back and forth, watch, watching games and thinking, about, how, how would I do that though? How would I do yeah. that differently if I was yeah. playing that game? That's interesting. And it's, you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really, really good book. I'm very thankful for David to send it to me. I love the 70s. I love rugby. I love good writing and it's all there. And I also love great photographs. The, honestly, the photograph section is fantastic. So Nobody Beats Us, The Inside Story of the 1970s Wales Rugby Team by David Tassell is my very, very good uh, book choice this week. That is part two. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed your complete socially distant sports bar journey. Uh, if you want more content from us every single month, head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash distantpod. If you would like to, do you remember we did like a pilot version of Hoffy Pod a few weeks back, maybe a couple of months back now? Uh, we do one of those every month on our Patreon channel. And we do a podcast called Mike Lowen's Movie Club where we review a movie. 
mean, there's about half an hour where we just bang on like we do at the start of this podcast. But the the, the content and in inverted commas part of it is about a movie that we have watched. Some of the best bits are probably from that bit where we just wang on at the start. Yeah, patreon.com slash distantpod if you want to have a look at the different levels and what will get you access to HoffyPod and Michael Lewis Movie Club. Thank you.